Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder at Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Hi, welcome to Dig In, our weekly episode with a marketing or insight pro. Today, I've got Will Strawn, the partner and chief growth officer at Focus Lab with me. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing fantastic. Good. Um, yeah, I'm so excited to have Will on the podcast today. What they do at Focus Lab is so interesting. I got a chance to meet Will through one of our um, friends at Craft and Crew, an agency out of Ottawa. Shout out to Dave. I'm going to jump right in today. So this week, I'm going to talk to Will a little bit about, obviously, Focus Lab is an agency, um, and they're working on some really, really cool brand projects, um, have done loads of different types of brand work with a lot of different tech providers. Um, Will, can you walk us through a little bit about Focus Lab and a little bit about your background? Yeah. So Focus Lab is a B2B brand agency. Um, We've got the luxury of working with people from all over the world. So we've got clients from all over the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, um, but really our core expertise is in working with, you know, companies that have a B2B services or technology company and helping them refine their brand. And the way brand to us is not only the way a company looks, so the way that organizations, customers would experience them through design, but also how they would experience them through written communication. So helping our clients figure out who their brand's voice is, their positioning, their messaging, and all of the above. So that is Focus Lab. Um, My role here as chief growth officer is really I am responsible for all of our biz dev, but also all of our marketing. So um, always working to help the business grow as intentionally as I can. Partner in the business, because I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. Um, I'm fully bought into the value of branding and and what it does for our partners. And I became a business partner three years ago and Focus Lab turned 11 in May. And, and I've been with the company for nearly almost eight years now. Nice. So it's been... But yeah, it, 10 years ago, I was typically flying to Seattle or LA trying to sell some music instruments. Um, so things have changed pretty significantly. Wow. That's really interesting. I mean, that's probably not the, not the typical path, um, but it seems like you've made it work really well for you. Um, so from your perspective, then having been at Focus Lab for eight years, what does good brand work mean? Um, and then on top of that, are there any brands that you absolutely love that you want to call out? Any brands that you've worked on specifically that you'd like to call out? Um, yeah, I'm all ears. Yeah. So when I think of good branding, oftentimes the best brands in the world are the most consistent. So I think there's there's the act of what do you do with a brand after you work with an agency like Focus Lab? It's all about consistency. And you can, you can look at some best in class brands and say, yes, they're, they're pretty damn consistent. Meaning to the way that they design on behalf of the brand, the way they write on behalf of the brand, the way that they get involved with industry news, societal news, all that stuff. Um, Oftentimes the best brands are the most consistent, meaning they know who they are 
and they know how to operate in a moment. Um, I think a really great example of a brand that's completely killing it right now in terms of being consistent is um, Airbnb. So if you look at Airbnb's brand, they built their entire brand around the sense of creating um, a sense of belonging, even to the way that they name their logo, to the way that they write, to the way they engage their employees. Um, there's no hiding that they got totally hammered with the pandemic. Yeah. Like travel was just rough. Um, but one thing that they had to do is they had to actually lay off a big chunk of their employees. But to them, that had to be probably one of the toughest calls that, that they had to make on behalf of their brand. But they went the extra mile. They made a website just to help promote employees that they were losing to try to help place them a job. And that was so in line with who their brand is that that was extremely consistent. If they had emailed their team and said, hey, we're really, really sorry. A ton of you, the next week is your last week and we wish you the best. That would have been so inconsistent with their brand that people would have been totally shocked and, and hurt. And then all that reputation that they had built by creating this sense of belonging would have been thrown away. They would have to start from scratch. So when I think of what makes brands really, really good, it's, it's the ones that are consistent um, and they maintain that consistency through events. Um, because really, if your brand is inconsistent, every experience you have with your customers or your employees, you have to start from scratch. Um, and inconsistent brands do not build brand equity. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's a really good point. And actually Airbnb is a really interesting reference because I've always loved their branding and I'm actually even loving, um, obviously we're based out of Toronto and I've seen, I don't know if it's the same ads in the U S where you guys are, but, um, I've seen a bunch of ads about, you know, going back to Airbnb and kind of like creating a home away from home, but, um, being not actually far from your physical home. Like they're, they're doing some really, really cool stuff with staycations and things like that. So, um, very good example for the times. It's, I mean, it's exactly what we do. I mean, if you look at their logo, their logo is meant to be the universal symbol for belonging. And they just thread that needle throughout the way that they roll up the product features, the way that they have built a culture with their company to the way that they think about color palettes. It's it when you can get that intentional and maintain that level of consistency, you that's really when you've got magic. Um, so that's, and, and I thought they really navigated, you know, the last year with, with grace, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to take that one step further. So if consistency is what makes the great brands, how do you ensure that when you're building a brand, you, you can execute consistently? Do you know what I mean? Like from a process perspective? Yeah, I think whenever you're trying to build rules to be consistent, there needs to be some level of flexibility, right? Because things are always going to change. You know, if we were looking at brands we were building in 2018, 2019, we would have never imagined, you know, the year that we all had in 2020. So building a brand that has a level of flexibility to, Mm. you know, um, meet the moment, I think is going to be important, but also just knowing the drivers for your brand and what 
motivates your audience, right? Uh, I think a lot of brands lost the ability to, they lost that human touch. Mm. And in 2020, and even this year is, you know, there's still people in lockdown. So many organizations and the people that they serve are just craving humanity at this point that when we, I mean, we exclusively work with B2B companies, right? And oftentimes they're the least human brands. They're very robotic. They speak in just these like acronyms, very buzzwordy. And the brands that said, hey, no, we need to step away from the jargon and we need to actually have a human conversation with our, not only our employees, but our customers, our prospects. Those are the ones that really thrived because they had the flexibility to say, no, we need our brand's tone and our brand's voice needs to shift. We can't just be the same acronym driven ROI company. We need to meet our customers where they are right now. And we need to deliver a branded experience. Um, And I think that would be, I mean, brands that did that really took advantage of really rough year. So, but when you're building a brand, it's, you need to know when it's time to change. So we, we're not, we can't read the future, but mm-hmm. these are conversations we have with our clients to say, Hey, these are the tools, but also think of your brand as a seed. You know, if you ask yourself, when was the best time to plant a tree? The answer is it was 20 years ago. So <laughs> when we work with our clients, when we hand off this brand system and the brand tools that we give them, we're like, this is like two weeks. We planted this seed two weeks ago. We've watered it. We've fertilized it. We've gave you really rich soil, but now you need to take it and you need to take care of it. So every little branded impression that they deliver or where they actually operate as their truest form of themselves as a brand, they think of that as, okay, we give, we give the tree a little bit of water today. Perfect. All right. Give a little bit of fertilizer. And as it grows, you get seeds and then you can build a forest. But we we're oftentimes not around for all of that. We really... We, we grow the seed with you, we plant it and we give it, you know, a couple of weeks worth of watering and fertilizer, and then you've got to go and take care of it. And the way you do that is through consistency. So um, I guess that's one thing we keep it real. It's like, we're not going to be around forever, but we're going to give you the tools so you can be successful. So you can look, you know, like one of the, you know, the best in class brands in in your vertical or in your industry. Amazing. Um, thanks. Well, that's awesome. I, I'm also wondering, so on the topic of good, I mean, what, what makes branding or a brand in and of itself, not so good. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think, uh, brands that are not so good are typically (laughs) the ones that just don't change. They don't change with the times. Mm. Um, they're the ones that don't evolve as their customers evolve, you know, I think it's just brands can't be static. And when I'm thinking of branding, I'm thinking from a design and a communications perspective. Now there's beauty in having a fantastic trademark. And if you have a very simple brand mark, that should not have to change unless your company changes significantly and you have a totally different target audience. But I think when I say not changing brand is more than a logo. That's just one piece of it. So much of your brand experience is what your brand says, the promises you make your customers. It's how you listen. Um, 
how you design. You can obviously create a timeless design system, but there's a lot of brands that are constantly out there chasing trends. Yeah. That can be really tricky, right? So I think what makes brands not so good are the ones that they just put on the earmuffs and stop listening. It's when they think they've got all the answers and they stop asking their customers questions. Um, probably what I would say. And, and the brands that do that don't last very long. And there's a long track record of those. So look at Blockbuster. Mm. They were like, oh, Netflix, not a thing. People aren't going to want to do streaming online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to change. And there was a point where Netflix had offered to create their digital platform for Blockbuster. Yeah. And Blockbuster was like, no, we got it. This isn't going to be a thing. Stop listening. And now they're dead. Like, it's not even a thing. I think there's like one Blockbuster right now. I mean, but at the time, I'll be honest, I, I miss going to Blockbuster as oh. like from like a nostalgic perspective. Was it a good business model? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, when I was little, I used to go on a Friday night, you know, get some candy it was a, it was a whole thing. Oh, it was the best. Oh, I was a total <laughs> member. Yeah. Every Friday night. Like I remember as a kid, like if my mom let me rent a movie in a video game, I had done something right, but I think it's, <laughs> that's a really good example of a brand that stopped listening. You know, the, the other example is Kodak. Like it's the class. There's so many books about this in terms of the digital camera. Like I'm pretty sure they had the patent for the digital camera and they licensed it away. And they were like, no, we're, we're known for film. And by the time that it came time to do digital business, they were so behind that they basically all the digital business had been taken over by other organizations and they were seen as old because they, they did not shift or listen to their customers. And that's a big brand issue because then you're known as the old, old styles, like all that's old school and no one wants to be that you want to be seen as innovative. And, you know, a brand that's constantly listening is companies like Apple. Everyone always points to them, but they're always listening. They're always evolving. They're always growing. So yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't shut your ears off. Yeah. You know. I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think what's interesting is it happens. I find those examples point to the fact that as companies often grow, they end up becoming more stagnant or as, you know, companies that are younger and growing and hungry, they're a lot more, um, they're a lot more hungry for consumer insight or an understanding of sort of who, uh, what they should be listening to and, you know, what's going on in the wider market. Um, so it's interesting to hear that perspective. Um, on the topic of insight, how do you think insight plays a role when you're developing a brand? So uh, what's the best way of kind of leveraging insight when you're going through a rebrand? Yeah, insights are huge. You know, the reason why insights are so important when going through a rebrand is because the reality is an agency like Focus Lab can take one of our clients' brands in almost an unlimited amount of direction. And without research and evaluation, we're just creating something to create. We're just making something that looks cool. But we know that was maybe a lesson we learned eight years ago if we were doing that. Now we know everything starts with brand strategy, which brand strategy to us is all built on research and evaluation where we leverage insights. Um, and it's, and that's really what allows us to narrow the focus when we get a client into brand design or into brand writing, where we're building up positioning and messaging insights are extremely important because it, 
it really allows us to evaluate what's going on in their industry with their target audience and with you know them you know as an organization so when we're creating we're really only creating things of value because it's allowed us to really narrow the focus and only exploring in the most valuable directions so without brand strategy i mean you'd be lost that's almost like being lost at sea a little bit yeah. uh, you really need it to uh bring a you know a sense of direction or almost like a north star to our engagements so yeah i mean it's really really vital yeah i'm i think there's often a perception that brand is just sort of the the way you speak or the way that you look and i think creating that consistency is all about having that like through thread of you know what what is the core insight at at the the kernel of insight if you will at the beginning of the process and what is the strategy so that's really helpful in terms of you know i'm sure it's it's always a challenge kind of trying to narrow in on what those specific um opportunities are avenues are for a, a new brand what are some other challenges about bringing a new brand to market so when we think about challenges bring a brand to market there's two parts to the story with a lot of companies there's the internal side of their business there's the internal culture and before our clients start thinking about how to roll it out externally we start to coach them on how to roll it out internally because that's half the battle yeah. so an uh, an area where most people go wrong is um, you know, a lot of the executives that we work with, they'll take their business, their rebrand. And the first thing they want to do is show their company and their team members, the new logo, because to them, that's one of the biggest pieces of their brand, which to us, that is the last thing we recommend that our partners do, because we know that when you introduce your brand to your customers and you introduce your brand to your employees, the logo is just one small piece of the total equation. It's kind of like, you need to think of your brand as a symphony. It's just not a, you know, 50, you know, violinists. It's a symphony of players. And the logo is one very important piece. But the most difficult part to rolling out a brand is to, is really, well, it's not really difficult if you do it right. It's to start with a narrative. Mm. Speak to what your brand stands for. What's your brand's purpose? And then that narrative will give your team and your customers something something really to um, sink their teeth into. So you describe that your brand is much more than what you do. And then the last thing you show them is obviously your new logo. And at that point, they're they're bought into your purpose. They're bought into your vision and your mission of what you're trying to achieve. And by showing them your new identity, that's you're able to connect so many dots. If you just show your new team, your new logo and say, hey, you like this, it's a 50-50 chance that they say yes or no, because at that point it's very, it's based off of their personal taste. But if you describe why the heck you show up to work every day and what you achieve to deliver to your customers, and by the way, we've built an identity around that, we've built a brand around that, you, I mean, I'm not going to say you could show them any logo. It's got to be a quality, <laughs> well-designed system. But at that point, as long as you can connect the dots on how that aligns with your visual identity, your team is ready to go. And that's half the battle. If you have your internal team bought into what your brand stands for, you better believe when they engage with your customers, they're going to be like basically brand evangelists at that point. And it's going to go really, really great. 
And then you would really present a very similar story to your customers and to your industry. You start with a narrative, you tell a very inspirational story about what your brand represents and why it's going to really set you up to succeed for many years to come. And, you know, the logo is just one part of it. Um, a lot of companies want to rush. They just want to throw their new logo up on their website. And that's just problematic because you're not getting the value that you could have gotten out of it. You could do a big splashy mm. rollout where you really kind of help position this next phase of an organization. And that's what we coach our clients to do. But really, um, when you're thinking about strong brand rollouts, always has to start internally. And it's not teasing things out to the team. It's you do a really big grand presentation. We coach our team to like have swag and have stuff ready for their team to put their yeah. hands on to make it real. Um, but it always starts with purpose and, and it starts with a narrative because the narrative equals, you know, it just gives them something to really sink their teeth into because so it's real because until then it's not real. It's just like, yeah, we're going through a rebrand. It's like, great. <laughs> but just don't show uh, it so many times that, and that is definitely a lesson we've learned over a decade of being in business. Cause sometimes we'll be like, Oh yeah, I went out, I was at a conference and I was showing people the new logo on our phone. And I'm like, Oh, no, that's not how you, you know, don't think of your brand as a logo. Think of it as a brand. Yeah. And your brand stands for so much more. So, um, never anyone is activating any brand that we help build. We really, really coach and push people to, you know, drive with a story. And a lot of our clients, they actually will let us write that story for them, which is nice because then it's a lot more simple for them. Yeah. And um, it's really great. Now you can see brands that didn't do that. So I don't know if you remember this. Um, oh, geez. Um, you remember maybe about a year ago when Slack rebranded when they yeah. changed their logo, they yeah. just flipped the switch and everyone was like, what just happened? Is this Slack? Did they get hacked? Was going on here? They didn't even. Now I have no idea what they did internally. They were Slack was not a client of ours, um, but they they rolled out the new brand. It's like they almost didn't say anything about it. Yeah, I remember I opened my Slack one day and it was just different. And people were very confused. And then I think maybe a couple of days later or a week later, then they created like a landing page where they described it. It's like you got to get ahead of that. You know, the easiest thing to do for them would have been drop a little eyebrow down that says, hey, Slack has rebranded, click this link to learn more about it. That would have created far less confusion about what they did. And then once you got to understand the story after the fact, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. And now I'm so used to it. I can't even, I don't even remember what the old yeah, neither do I. like. <laughs> I think it was like an S. I don't even remember. But at the time people, and because when you do stuff like that, people freak out. <laughs> like they lose it. They're like, what is this? They hate it. Oh my God. Remember just, all of the different Instagram logos? Like people it, lost their minds. It's it, people start with a narrative, try to communicate as best as you can about what this new brand is and why it exists before you flip the switch or have it ready when you flip the switch. So you can really control the narrative because for companies like of those scale, like there's always going to be haters. Haters are going to hate and that's totally fine. But like your, your most loyal customers and users, like they want to know, they want to be a part of it because for a company like Slack, their customers were a big reason to a big reason for how they got to where they were. So 
hope your users feel included in that. Just be like, hey, we rebranded to support you better. It's going to help us grow better, which will allow us to create better features. And by the way, our brand represents this. And they, I feel like they kind of missed the mark there. Um, you know, but who knows? Who knows what was driving that timeline behind the scenes? Yeah. There's always things. It could have been the acquisition talks with Salesforce um, at the time. And yeah. but but who knows? But I think that's a real world example of a brand that it caught a lot of people by surprise. And that's the last thing you want with a brand activation is to catch anyone by surprise. And if you do catch someone by surprise, at least have a place that you can send them that would allow them to gain clarity. Yeah. I'd even take that one step further. Like the worst thing that you can do is catch someone by surprise, but I'm thinking of it from a product marketing perspective, the worst thing you could do is catch someone by surprise and then make it hard for them to do the thing that they came to you for because of the yeah. new brand. Um, so I think what you're describing is really similar to how a product marketer within a tech company might approach a new product launch. And there's probably rationale. Yeah. There's definitely rationale to approach a rebrand like that. And I'm sure a lot of your team do. Um, in terms of helping your clients and coaching them to to be able yeah. to roll this out internally and externally. Yeah, always start with internal because that just builds such a level of excitement and enthusiasm because the last thing you want is for your team and for the outside world to find out the same day. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, and then it's, bad. yeah, and it's kind of like, it's almost like you've got to think of these brands and these products and services almost as people, Right. Like imagine, like you and I have known each other for a while now. Like imagine I showed up and I had pink hair. <laughs> I, my beard was gone. People don't know what I look like, but I have a, I have had a beard for about a decade now. But imagine I showed up with pink hair and a beard and I didn't say anything. I was like, hey, what's up? And if you didn't say anything to me, I'd be like, she hates my hair. Yeah, she no, hates I would have said something. I would have said You definitely would have said something. You were yeah. like, Will, what did you do? <laughs> what's going on? bold move. I like it, but it's kind of like, you have to think like, I probably would have seen you a text be like, Hey, Megan, just a heads up. You know, I got a new look. I'm I really look excited. Real different. It, it's I've never felt more like myself, but at least I gave you the heads up. So you weren't like, Whoa, what did, what did will, will look totally different. You know what? So well, it's if you're like, looking to make a change, I think that's the time. Be, that's, that's the, that's the goal. I think um, pink hair is the new thing. I'm pretty sure my wife would never let me shave off my beard and <laughs> I would be pretty frightened to dye my hair. Cause I'm, I'm holding on to as little hair as I can right now. So I'm <laughs> pretty positive. If I dyed my hair pink, I might not have much hair left at the end of it, but all right. Fair an example, you know? <laughs> yeah. Good. Good example. I probably would have been shocked. Um, all right. That's awesome. And just on top of what you've just said. So I, I understand like that as a big challenge of sort of getting people on board from an internal perspective and externally. Um, does Focus Lab or do you does your team do anything unique to make that possible in terms of getting people on board and, and getting probably not external people, but internally culture-wise? Does Focus Lab do anything unique there? I think the unique thing that we do is we coach our clients. Right. Because to us, that's you know, people don't hire us for the coaching side of our engagements. You know, on paper, our clients hire us to run them through rebrands or brand refreshes or help them from a positioning perspective. Um, all the coaching that we offer our clients is all just 
it's extra. We just do it because we know it's it's really what makes the difference between an okay project and an unforgettable project for our clients. And that's really what we strive for. So um, it's just a little bit of the intangible things that we bring to the table. Um, let me, so yeah, I yeah. guess it's. No, totally. That's and where I think we that, look at it. that makes sense. Like I've gone through a couple of rebrands um, at other companies I've been with and the internal strife of making sure that you have the right people in the room and making sure that you're bringing people on a journey, like that can be the hardest part. So it makes sense that you would kind of include that and make sure that all of that's kind of being handled while you're going through the actual process of rebranding the brand Mm -hmm. that you're working with. Um, all right, a couple more questions for you. I want to dig in to COVID related stuff, um, because I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. So there's so much stuff happening right now in the market. Um, you know, there's a lot of, as you said, people are crying out for some humanity right now. Um, a lot of people want to connect with brands in different ways. Do you have a watch out for brand marketers? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, what does it mean to be a well-loved brand now versus what it might've meant, I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, five years ago? Yeah, I think the big thing when you look at best in class brands right now is they stand for something more than their product or their service. Um, Obviously their product and their service offering is really important. That's how they got to where they are. But a lot of people are looking for organizations that stand for something more. Like an example could be like um, you look at Tesla. Tesla is a very polarizing brand. People love them, hate them. (laughs) But I think oftentimes people just, they love or hate Elon Musk. But when you think of the Tesla brand, everything that they do is all around moving the world to a more sustainable future. So when I think of Tesla, I'm like, that's what I see. I don't think of them as a car company. I don't think of them as a battery company or solar panel company. I look at them as everything that they do is to move the world to a more sustainable future. And that's why they're the most valuable, you know, automotive company in the world because they stand for something greater than the products that they make. Right. And they let that drive a lot of their decisions, but there's a lot of brands that have done this over the years. Um, so uh, another example would be like uh, Salesforce. This would be, a, and this is an old example. If you looked at Salesforce, when they were starting their business, they were all about moving the world or moving business to the cloud. A lot of the decisions that they made for how they built their team, the products they made, how they pursued acquisitions was it had to move business to the cloud. If it didn't do that, it was not in line with their brand. And that sounds like totally normal today, but if you went to when Salesforce was starting, cloud computing and like cloud technologies scared people. They were like, ah. no, no, no. Like you're gonna you're gonna store my data like not in my building? Like, no way, <laughs> freaky. But to them, they stayed true to their purpose of moving business to the cloud. Their purpose didn't say we were gonna have the best CRM. The purpose was moving business to the cloud and the CRM was the way that they did it. So um, that's, so when I'm looking at what people are looking for from brands, 
it was, they were even looking for it pre-COVID and they're looking for it more than ever now. People want to look and want to align themselves with brands that have a purpose. Um, Because if you don't have, if you don't stand for something more than just what you do, you're a commodity. Yeah. And you're not unique. And brand can be one of your strongest differentiators when competing in really competitive spaces. I mean, I look at that at Focus Lab. Like I know what our purpose is. Our purpose of a business is to unlock the potential in the people around us. My purpose, Focus Lab's purpose said nothing about branding. We just happen to unlock the potential in our partners and our employees by offering branding services. That's why we do brand rollout presentations. We know we don't need to do that. That's not what people have hired us to do. They've hired us to to design an identity and build out messaging frameworks and conduct brand strategy. So we go the extra effort to say, hey, let's, we've been doing this for over a decade. We've seen brands roll out really great, but we've seen far more roll out really, really poorly. So in order to unlock the potential that sits within you, our partner, we're going to educate you on brand rollout. We're going to give you presentations. We're going to consult with you. It's not what you're paying us for, but it's what we want to deliver so we can help unlock your potential. Because we know the tools that we're going to give you are going to do that, but there's so many other things that we can do. So people are craving that. They want to align themselves with organizations that stand for something more than just their product or service. And and even more now, because I was reading a, a report the other day that most buyers, consumer or business buyers are looking at seven to 14 buying options. It's crazy. And if you don't have a differentiated brand, you're just another in the pack. They're just looking at price and, and no one wants to compete on price. You want to compete on value. And the best way that you can do that is build a brand that stands for more than just a product or a service. Got to do it. It gets me jacked up to talk about that, but <laughs> he's jacked. No one can see you right now, but he's, yeah. uh, he's very excited. Um, unfortunately I feel like we're almost at time. Um, this has been unbelievable. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I am going to finish by asking you to leave anyone listening with a key tip for building a world-class brand. Um, no, you know, no big deal. No, not a big question or anything. Um, but yeah, hit us with your, your best advice. Okay. Best advice for building a world-class brand lean into purpose, but I think I, uh, there's something I've been chewing on. I'm gonna throw this at you and maybe this will okay. let people know. <laughs> so, um, there's this hot, there's this really big hot topic now, or I don't know. It's been a hot topic for like a decade where it's like data, data, data. You gotta have all the data. You gotta have analytics. You gotta have all this crazy just tons and tons of data, almost an amount of data that no one knows, even know, even knows what to do with it. You're talking about as a marketer. Yes. Yeah. As a marketer. That's what we've all been told over the last decade. It's just get your hands on the most amount of data that you can. And then there's all these tools that you can get that help you analyze the data and figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. It's almost to the point now where data has become a utility. But here's what I think the best brands in the world are going to do over the next 10 years. They're going to use data as a utility, the same way that businesses in the night in 1910 use electricity. 
if we look, look 10 years back, data was a differentiator. It is no longer a differentiator because everybody has it. So what you need to now do is lean on insights and branding to compete. Mm. So data is not that secret weapon that it was in 2015. Really, if brands are going to succeed, you need to leverage insights to in, to really improve your brand to differentiate. Because data is no longer a differentiator. Brand and insights is your number one differentiator for your organization as you continue to grow. Now, how you leverage those insights and how you let that evolve your brand is people could do it an unlimited amount of ways. But um, that's one thing that I've I've really been chewing on and I've been seeing because like, I remember getting ads in all these companies that, you know, that I got to know and everything was just like data, 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 data. And data is no longer that differentiator. It's, it's utility. Businesses need it, right? Yeah. But it's the same way that businesses need electricity to succeed. You need data, but it's not that like golden ticket that it was because really now you need to lean on insights to make really informed brand decisions so you can deliver a human experience. And the brands that do that are going to crush and they're going to grow and they're going to dominate their industry and they're going to dominate their competitors um, because they are not afraid to do so. They're not afraid to stand for something. So I think if someone could take away something... (laughs) help them leverage creating a world-class brand, that would be it. I don't know. Hot take. No, it is a hot take. And I love it. I mean, it reminds me of, there's so much stuff coming up these days about the like performance marketing versus brand marketing and data really is table stakes. You're right. I think also when you talk about insight um, and brand, it's like the right insight, right? And um, finding- totally it's not all insight. It's, you know, what is that one insight and using your perspective and your gut to kind of figure out where that insight can take you. And I think that's something that's been lost a little bit. The creativity from the marketing perspective is, you know, there's so much data, you you can get lost in the data, but what's happened is that on the other end of things, there's less room for creativity because you're spending so much time sort of bogged down in that data. So as a marketer, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, And I would love if in the next 10 years, the best brands are focusing on insight and brand, because that is a world that I want to, that I want to play in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, where can people find you? Yeah. So the easiest place to find me is on the focus lab website. Uh, so you can check us out at focuslab.agency, also LinkedIn. I navigate the world of LinkedIn and you can find me there at um, just Will Strong. If you search me there, that's the easiest place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I am sure I will talk to you soon. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye guys. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.